Hello and welcome to Deep Dive from the Japan Times. I'm Oscar Boyd. March 24th marks one month since Russia began its invasion of Ukraine, starting a war that has forced millions of Ukrainians to flee their country. This week, my colleague Kanako Takahara tells us about Japan's efforts to help those refugees and why the government here isn't calling them by that name. Later in the episode, we hear the story of Maria, a 71 year old Ukrainian woman who was reunited with her daughter Natalia last Friday after a six day ordeal escaping from Ukraine to Japan. Kanako, welcome back to Deep Dive. Thank you so much for joining me again. Thanks for having me again. So it's now been a month since Russia started its invasion of Ukraine. How many people are thought to have fled Ukraine as a result of this war? Well, according to UNHCR estimates, there is about around 3.5 million at the time of recording. And the numbers is increasing daily. The amount is massive. Right. And it's really only half the story as well, because there's many millions more who've been displaced internally. For those who have left Ukraine, though, where are they mainly going? About a half of them are going to Poland, their neighboring countries. And Poland has kept the borders open. And there are a lot of volunteers there that are helping out these uh, refugees. If they have relatives, friends elsewhere, they would go from there to another country, maybe. Mm-hmm. But a lot of them are still staying there. And it's kind of becoming a concern for Poland mm-hmm. as well. Well, more than 2 million people so far are estimated to be in Poland, and I think about half a million in Romania and Mm -hmm. about 350,000 in Moldova, all these neighboring countries Mm -hmm. to Ukraine. And if we move to Japan, how many people fleeing the war in Ukraine has Japan accepted so far? As of Wednesday last week, the government has said that Japan has accepted 73 people who fled Ukraine. And that's a handful of people compared to other countries. Mm-hmm. But they are not considered refugees. They're just people that Japan accepted from uh, Ukraine. They are not double quote, you know, refugees, mm. according to government standards. Okay, and you wrote an article on this issue. So could you help explain it to me? The government is referring to the Ukrainians it's accepting as evacuees rather than refugees. Why is that? So in the eyes of the Japanese government, they are not refugees until they are granted the refugee status. Mm. And in order to be granted the refugee status, you have to go a bunch of applications and a screening process. Mm -hmm. And then after maybe a couple of months or maybe even years, then you'll be granted the refugee status. So according to Japan... There is this criteria that you need to uh, clear to be a refugee. And according to the Japanese government, uh, Ukrainians who are fleeing from their countries probably don't pass that criteria and they won't be granted the refugee status. But if the UN's refugee agency is calling Ukrainians fleeing the war refugees, why is that not the case in Japan? Well, I would say that it's a war-torn country, but that's not among the criteria. So that's, I guess, the biggest reason. Mm. And uh, this has happened before. Like, for instance, if Japan wants to accept people from Afghanistan Mm. after uh, last year, they probably won't be able to be granted refugee status. 
because they won't meet those criteria. And that's been happening for a number of disputes, internal disputes, for instance, mm-hmm. like Syria in the past. So basically, Japan has this incredibly strict criteria right. for correct refugees. So, and so they've had to effectively make this separate category right. for Ukrainians who are fleeing right. their country. So, so critics uh, criticize them as a narrow definition of refugees. And that's certainly why the number of uh, people that Japanese government has accepted as refugee status is so low because of that narrow definition. Mm. On the other hand, the government is aware that they need to uh, have humanitarian consideration for these people. So they have another set criteria or another category, Mm. which is granting them uh, residential status that will allow them to uh, work in Japan and have access to all the public benefits, Mm -hmm. like the national healthcare program and other grants, for instance. Have we seen Japan use a similar system for bringing in quote-unquote evacuees in the past? As a matter of fact, yes. Maybe other countries see Japan as a uh, country that doesn't really accept refugees. But in the past, they have. Just after the Vietnam War, there are floods of people uh, fleeing the country from Vietnam, Cambodia and Laos. And between 1978 and 2005, Japan accepted about... 11,000 refugees from the three countries and they had this entire system where they would accept them, help them settle in the country, find them jobs, offer them accommodation. So uh, there is a framework or system in Japan that would allow that and lawmakers have said that maybe Japan can accept Ukrainians fleeing the country in that framework. Mm. So again, it's outside the main refugee pathway right. for Japan. Right. It's separate from the refugee status thing. And currently, Japan only accepts under that framework uh, people from Asian countries. Mm. So if they want to uh, expand that to Ukrainians, they would probably need some kind of a diet deliberation or uh, government internal discussions to make it official for Ukrainians to use that framework. Are you looking for a new job? Then today's sponsor might be right up your alley. Today's episode is brought to you by RGF Professional Recruitment Japan, the bilingual arm of Recruit. Japan and Asia's largest recruiting and information service company, helping thousands of people every year to unleash their potential. RGF partners with multinational and domestic businesses with a global outlook in Japan to provide market-leading bilingual talent across all industries. Their career consultants ensure that your job search is smooth and stress-free, whilst identifying the best opportunities to meet your career and personal goals. RGF specialises in finding positions for skilled professionals across all functions of enterprise technology, professional services and consulting, consumer technology, back office and finance, industrial and manufacturing, and healthcare. Visit rgf-professional.jp, that's rgf-professional.jp, to register your resume and unleash your potential today. That link is in the show notes.
under this evacuee scheme that's been set up, who from Ukraine actually qualifies to come to Japan? Well, until last week, they were only the people who have families and friends here、mm. initially. But then on Friday, the government said that they are going to expand that to all of the people from Ukraine. So even if you don't have family and friends in Japan,、mm. you're going to be granted the short term visa to come to Japan. Okay, so they're expanding it from people who、right. had an established support network here、right. to a more general group of people who,、right. whether they have a support network here or not,、right. they're still able to come to Japan. That's correct. And does the government have a, either a target or a limit on how many people it plans to accept? Well, currently, because of the pandemic, there is a、uh, entry cap for arrivals,、mm. and currently that's 7,000. But the government has said that these people coming to Japan are outside of that cap. So、mm-hmm. there's not a, a target or a cap for them to come to Japan. But I would say because of the language barrier, And because of the, the distance from Ukraine to Japan, there won't be like a flood of people coming to Japan from、mm. Ukraine. And for the people who are trying to come to Japan, what's the process like in terms of getting accepted for this evacuee status? So they need to first go to a Japanese embassy, and、uh, they would probably go to Poland, Warsaw.、Mm. And then there is a Japanese embassy there. So they would go and、uh, do the necessary paperwork.、Mm-hmm. And then they will get a visa in about a couple of days. They would get their flight tickets on their own and、mm-hmm. then fly out from there to come to Japan.、Mm-hmm. That would be the typical case. And do you know how burdensome that paperwork process is? Because I, I mean, I think everyone knows that Japan loves、right. its paperwork. Right.、Um, anyone who's ever dealt with Japanese bureaucracy knows that you end up with a stack of paper about half a meter high. Right.、Uh, so they're trying to simplify it, but right now they would need that kind of a- application form. Plus, for those who have、uh, friends and family here, they need another form、mm-hmm. to show that they have friends and family here. The families would typically send some kind of a t- PDF form by email and then they would be sorted out, screened, and then get a short term visa、mm-hmm. for 90 days.、Mm-hmm. And what does this short term visa for 90 days allow? Well, simply just come to Japan、mm. uh, for now. And then if they want, they could apply for a longer term visa that will allow them to work、mm-hmm. in Japan. And、uh, currently, the government has started accepting switching from the short term visa to a longer term visa in Japan. So once they settle in, they can apply to、uh, switch for a longer term visa.、Mm-hmm. So, in effect, that 90 day visa, the short term visa there. Given the Japanese embassy they're applying at, that's just to get them to Japan. To come to Japan,、okay. yes, correct. So, similar to a tourist visa. Right, right. What doesn't it allow? So, if you only have a short term visa, you won't be able to have access to the national healthcare program,、mm. and then you won't be able to、uh, get benefits, a lot of benefits, including. Help from municipalities, for instance. But if you have a longer visa, first, the biggest and most important would be that you'll be able to work、mm. in Japan. 
and then have access to those all kind of benefits. Mm-hmm. So it really is a kind of two-step process at the moment. Right. Like once you've applied and got your initial entry visa or 90-day visa to come to right. Japan, the expectation then is for people who want to stay here for longer to switch onto this longer-term visa right. that will give them medical benefits right. and the subsidies you were talking about. Right. It will probably take more time to grant a uh, longer-term visa in the first place. So mm. I think the, the, for the time being, for like the Japanese embassy to issue a visa, it's very simple if it's a short-term visa for them to to come to Japan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in principle, the immigration services agency is willing to yes. transition people onto yes. this longer-term visa. Yes, yes. What are the challenges that people facing in terms of the logistics of actually getting to Japan, visa issues aside? Well, just getting out of the country Mm. is a struggle. And a lot of people I've talked to are driving for several days or traveling even a week to just get out of the country and go to uh, a major city like Warsaw. Mm -hmm. So that's a struggle for one. But uh, aside from getting the application for the visa, they probably won't have a lot of money. And then they would need to uh, purchase a flight ticket, which could be very expensive. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the opposition lawmakers and uh, ruling party lawmakers are also saying that maybe the Japanese government should provide that kind of support as well, Mm. support them to fly to Japan. Okay, so like subsidize or pay Mm -hmm. for entirely the the plane tickets to come here. Right. Because I imagine the other issue is like this war in Ukraine is not happening in isolation. It comes on the back of two years of disrupted and reduced flights to Japan because of COVID-19, which already sent prices up. Up. And then on top of that, because of the Ukraine crisis, a lot of the flight corridors that go from Europe to Japan would typically fly over Russia. And that airspace is now entirely closed to a lot of different flight operators. So I wouldn't think there are a lot of direct flights coming in and out of Japan from Mm. Warsaw. So uh, they would probably transit to another European country or another place and that would add uh, more time to travel to Japan and that would be frustration for them as well. At the beginning of March, Kanako reached out to me and asked if I'd be interested in teaming up with her to report on the refugees arriving here from Ukraine. I said I'd be happy to, but after that initial conversation, a week flew past with little progress. Unsurprisingly, we were having trouble finding anyone who wanted to share their experience, compounded by the fact that so few Ukrainians have actually been able to come to Japan. Then last Thursday, Kanako sent me a message, telling me that she was in touch with a woman called Natalia Lysenko, whose mother would be arriving from Ukraine the next day. This is how I found myself on an eastbound train on a Friday afternoon, watching the city turn to farmland on that long, often complained about journey from Tokyo to Narita Airport. When I meet Natalia in the international arrivals lobby at Narita, she is accompanied by her husband and her two children, Adelina and Mark, and is dressed in an overcoat that is the same bright shade of yellow that has become synonymous with the Ukrainian resistance. Kanako and I are not the only reporters at the airport to meet her, but Natalia beckons us over, introduces us to her children, and begins to tell us about her mother, Maria. So she's uh, uh, 71, and uh, in May uh, she will turn 72. She also... uh, 
didn't want to leave uh, her house and apartment because uh, she's very kind person and she helped our neighbors who are disabled person and she she was taking care of them so that's why it was also like the point uh, which keep her there Natalia tells us she has been trying to persuade Maria to come to Japan for weeks but that her mother was reluctant to leave her home in Zaporizhia in southeastern Ukraine near the nuclear power plant that was shelled and then seized by Russian soldiers earlier in March she wanted to stay and look after her neighbors and also be with her two sons, Natalia's brothers, who remain in Ukraine. You said your mother didn't want to leave her home. What was it that made her leave in the end? Uh, my, my, my daughter and my son, so yeah, she's a great diploma. Uh, the other voice you can hear in the background there is Adelina, Natalia's daughter. Yeah, because like it was a panic and uh, my mother started crying, no, I don't want to leave and... Uh, my, my daughter yes was very uh, yes yes she's very religious person and she say oh no I will be lonely I I have no church <laughs> but I say that it's no matter where are you praying and the important that you're like believing God and without her help uh, I think uh, we couldn't make it as we wait for Maria outside the arrivals gate. The mood grows increasingly tense. Her plane landed two hours ago, but there's still no sign of her. Natalia paces back and forth trying to get through to her mother's phone and messaging her brothers in Ukraine to update them on the lack of progress. Another hour passes and we begin to wonder if something might have gone wrong. After all, Maria is travelling to Japan alone. She doesn't speak Japanese or English and has to get through Japan's stringent COVID-19 screening process, all at the end of an exhausting six-day escape through her war-torn homeland. She's so innocent, so like a child, so she, she was worried if she get uh, just lost somewhere and nobody can help her. So she left Ukraine with other two mothers and uh, uh, they went by train to uh, Lviv, uh, the west part of Ukraine. And after that they um, take, uh, took a bus and go to the border uh, uh, with Poland. And after that they took a bus and went to Warsaw. All this time I, I was trying to find somebody who could help her and assist them and accompany them because, uh, you know, like 70 years old lady in foreign countries and um, she just um, paralyzed, uh, couldn't do anything. With the help of Polish volunteers, Maria applied for a visa at the Japanese embassy in Warsaw, using the documents given to her by one of her sons before she had left home. When her visa was approved and her pre-flight COVID test finally came back negative, she was able to board a plane to Zurich and then on to Narita, where her family is waiting. Each time the large double doors at arrivals open, Natalia looks up expectantly, hoping that it will be her mother on the other side. Time and time again, she is disappointed. There is a group of passengers coming back from a skiing holiday. There are flight attendants and pilots with neatly pressed uniforms, and occasionally there's a border control officer wearing hazmat gear. Remarkably, Natalia manages to remain buoyant throughout and begins to imagine what she will do with her mother once they are reunited. With the pandemic limiting travel to and from Japan over the past couple of years, it will be the first time they have seen each other in four years. She loves sushi, so maybe we all eat sushi. And uh, uh, yeah, I just uh, want to hug her and uh, feel um, her smell, her warm. Yeah, maybe it will be like... 
first, yeah, I want to just to talk to her and make sure she's fine. When it finally happens, it all happens very quickly. There is a gasp, a yell, a rush of fabric as the family surge forward as one. Maria comes through the doors, visibly exhausted and pushing a trolley loaded with her possessions. The family envelop her in a hug, pressing as close to her as they can, feeling her warmth and breathing in her smell. And then there are tears, as grief and relief flood the room. Despite her exhaustion, Maria graciously agrees to speak with us for a moment. She tells us that she feels blessed to have made it to Japan, to be with her daughter and with her grandchildren. Natalia helps prop her mother up as she speaks and echoes her feelings while struggling to hold back tears. Oh, I still can't realize uh, that uh, it's reality. So uh, maybe after spending uh, a little time together, I, I will realize, yes, it's reality and uh, I can hug my mom and yes. can talk to her and, and not uh, by phone, or, but in real life. So I'm, I'm happy now, now, really happy. Flanked by her family, Maria leaves the airport for her new home, setting out on that same two-hour trip from Narita to Tokyo that so many of us complain about. The final leg of her six-day journey from Ukraine. We just heard the story of Maria's arrival in Japan last Friday. When people fleeing Ukraine do actually make it to Japan, what challenges are they facing here? So first, they'll probably be exhausted. Right now, we're seeing just the people who have family and friends here. So they have the support system. The families and friends can meet them at the airport and then they could be living with them or they have a hotel they can be taken care of. Mm-hmm. But from... Uh, Probably here on, if they if we see more people who doesn't have that support system, it's going to be a struggle. They think that they arrived in Japan and that's like a huge relief. But I would say that their struggle will continue if mm. they don't have that kind of support system in Japan just to know the ABCs or the the one on ones to to just live in Japan. There are a lot of NGOs and NPOs trying to help out. But we'll see how it goes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, what kind of support networks are being built up in Japan with the mind to help these people who might not have existing support networks here? Right now, there's not like an organizational support. But uh, at present, there is a uh, uh, Ukrainian community organization group. Uh, that's really active on Facebook and other social media. Mm-hmm. If they can contact them, then they would probably be willing to help. And uh, there's also a Japanese refugee group that is also willing to help out on the uh, the paperwork and everything. So that would probably be the ones that you would want to reach out to. Mm-hmm. And I'll put a link to those groups in the show notes of this episode. How about the government? Is the government offering much in the way of support, either at a national or prefectural level? So a lot of municipalities have offered to provide accommodation, housing, uh, Japanese language lessons and daily supplies. 
but I would think you need to be connected to that.、Mm. So if you have that kind of network in Japan, like friends and families who can, who can help you connect to those municipalities, I think that's a big help. But if you don't have any, anyone here、mm. and you don't know how to seek that help, that could be a little challenging. But a lot of prefectures, Yokohama, Osaka, Tokyo, they've、uh, created hotlines as well,、mm. in, uh, not just in Japanese, but in English, in Ukrainian, Russian. So if they could reach out to them, then they would be able to help you out. And what are people, so I mean, if they're arriving here and for the first 90 days on the short term visa they have, They're not able to work. If they're arriving with like little in the way of financial resources or、right. money, how are people supposed to actually be living and supporting themselves? I have no idea, really. I think they will be totally at lost what to do、mm. if they are younger and、uh, have、uh, like the means of internet connection. They could reach out to the, those、uh, Ukrainian groups in Japan.、Mm. But if you're older, And you don't know that kind of network, you could just be you know, at a loss at the airport, not、mm. knowing what to do. Has there been any discussion of mental health support or anything like that for people coming to the country? Because obviously, these are all people who've left a war torn country and left their homes in, very suddenly and in, in probably in a state of panic as well. Right. I haven't seen that kind of uh, you know, set uh, support yet. That could be、uh, a very important issue down the road because these people,、uh, some may want to go back. They're not sure if they want to settle in Japan、mm. for a、uh, longer term because of the language barrier. They don't speak Japanese and we don't know if they speak English as well. That means they are going to be very. Isolated or lonely, feeling lonely.、Mm. And that could be a problem to just adjust to this、uh, environment in Japan. That could be very, very challenging. So it sounds like, from everything that you've said so far, that basically the policy is to get people into the country as quickly as possible if they're interested in coming using this short term visa scheme and then to deal with the longer term effects as they come. So, with that in mind, is the conversation around supporting Ukrainians evolving? Do you think we'll see extra support down the line to help people who do want to settle here integrate into Japan as smoothly as possible? Right. I think the current phase is to just accept these people and to offer them the necessary visa, necessary accommodation. But、uh, in the long term, in the future, in the months, Come, there'll be、uh, probably discussions about how to smooth them in into the Japanese environment, offer them language services, language lessons,、mm-hmm. and offer jobs that would help them settle in Japan for a longer term. That was Kanako Takahara. My thanks to her, and a special thanks to Maria, Natalia, Adelina, and the rest of the family for letting me interview them at Narita Airport last week. A link to Kanako's article about the family's reunification is in the show notes. 
Also in the Japan Times this week, after a magnitude 7.4 earthquake shut down several power plants in northern Japan last week, Tuesday's cold weather threatened Tokyo and large swaths of Japan with blackouts as electricity supply struggled to keep up with demand, leading the government to ask people in affected regions to conserve energy. Meanwhile, on Sunday, the Japan Meteorological Agency announced that Tokyo's cherry blossoms have officially started blooming, four days earlier than on average. The agency made its announcement after confirming that a Somei Yoshino cherry tree at Yasukuni Shrine in Tokyo had begun to bloom. Although COVID restrictions were officially lifted nationwide on Monday, at least six parks in Tokyo, including Ueno, Inokashira and Yoyogi, have banned hanami picnics on their premises. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you as always for listening. And if you've enjoyed this one, please do give us a rating or a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Until next time, as always, Potskarisama. sama.